Katerina Grohn is in a tent at an elevation of 6,000 feet in a blizzard. The weather itself is scary because you're by yourself and it's really dark. It was just freezing cold. You think, well, you think you're going to die. She pulls out her phone to call her brother. He's in Germany, the other side of the world, too far away to help. I didn't know if I, I make it or not. And I realized that um, just in case, I should already say goodbye. But what do you tell your brother when you are thinking that you're going to die? I'm Torika Chur, and this is Tell Me What Happened, True Stories of Human Connections, an original podcast by OnStar. This series is about people all over the world that help people. It's also about the people that need that help, because we all have moments when we need some assistance from a stranger. Katerina has a dream of completing the Pacific Crest Trail. It runs 2,650 miles, from the Mexican border to the Canadian. The PCT, as hikers call it, is a test of endurance that takes four to five months. Completing it is a badge of honor for serious hikers, but by her own admission, Katerina is not, at least initially, a serious hiker. Before I did the PCT, I had one hiking experience, which was not as hard as the PCT. It, it's, it was basically a walk through the park. I have never slept in the forest in a tent by myself. It's fair to say she may not have been fully prepared for what she's about to encounter. I went on YouTube. This is the main place where I got my information from. Um, I saw how people managed to do it. Managed to do it. That's a good way to phrase it. You see, the PCT is long and it's technical. You don't conquer it. At best, you manage to do it. It's sad that like the PCT is the hardest one. It was like something where I thought, if I achieve that, then I will feel so strong. And uh, afterwards, I can just do anything. She starts in Campo. It's a small town on the United States-Mexico border. But hiking in Southern California is an eye-opener for a hiking novice from Europe. My sleeping bag, which was perfect for Spain, but didn't work out on the PCT at all. So basically, the first month, I almost froze to death every night. Hiking the PCT also means dealing with a different kind of wildlife than she saw back home. When you're hiking through the desert, you meet a lot of snakes. So if you have afraid of snakes, you should probably <laughs> skip the beginning, like the first 700 miles. Afterwards, you go into an area where you have a lot of like wildcats that can eat you alive. Poisonous snakes and hungry mountain lions rank second and third on the list of animals that hikers should worry about. The top spot belongs to something a little bigger. It's late at night. The branches overhead block out any light for the moon or the stars. The last embers of the fire are burning low. Katerina's lying in her tent, waiting for sleep to take over her exhausted body. 
I turned around and there was a bear like one meter in front. I will never be able to tell you how close this bear was, <laughs> but I think I felt his breath. <laughs> so I started screaming and the good thing is that I learned all I needed to know on YouTube, so I knew I have to be loud. Look, I'm not saying online videos are the best way to get your wilderness survival tips, but in this case, what she learned was right. If you encounter a bear in the woods, be loud, make yourself look big, and make sure you give the bear an avenue to escape. So if you're camped beside a lake, don't put the bear between you and the water. Move sideways so it will have a clear path to get away. That's what Katerina did. And sure enough, the bear took one look at her and ambled off into the forest. That was about three months into her trip. She might have started out unprepared, but she's learning as she goes. She's listened to other hikers. She's upgraded some of her gear. Most importantly, her confidence is growing. When you're in a bad situation, this makes you stronger. This gives you strength. This is how it feels. Katerina, like most hikers, started the trail in the spring and headed north. The plan is to finish before winter arrives in the Pacific Northwest. The problem is, after six months, she still isn't done. She's covered more than 2,300 miles, which means she still has 270 to go. Early in the trip, she was strong and fresh. She was covering 30 miles a day. But now, in the wilderness of Washington State, as the train gets tougher and the days shorter, her mileage totals start to drop. I was just exhausted, like, I was literally exhausted, like, my body didn't know what to do anymore. It's October 22nd. Carved pumpkins have been set on front steps. Ghosts made of old sheets hang from porches. It's a time of year where Nancy Abel usually has the PCT all to herself. I hadn't seen any PCT through hikers all day. Nancy lives in Washington State, not far from the trail. She uses it for day hikes, and over the years, she's come to recognize the seasonal ebb and flow of the through hikers, people doing what Katerina's doing, covering the whole route in a single summer. Everybody was pretty much gone further north trying to get up to the Canadian border, and, and so I was really surprised when I saw Katerina. She had a lot of gear on her back. So it looked to me like she was a through hiker and knowing how late in the season it was, right away the alarm bells went off. She asked me what I'm doing. I told her I'm doing the trail. Nancy and Katerina spend a couple of hours talking and hiking. She kind of reminded me of my daughter, who is the same age. And so I, we actually became pretty good friends in those two hours. It's a lovely walk on a gorgeous late fall day. But Nancy knew the weather would change quickly. She did not have key items for snow travel. And she did not have leg gaiters, protect her lower legs from deep snow. And she also didn't have snowshoes. So I was concerned. But Katerina's an adult and a stranger. There's only so much Nancy can do or say. I tried to talk her out of it, but she was very determined. 
she seemed really confident that she could that she'd be all right. Um, I said goodbye to her and I went home. The next morning, Katerina keeps heading north. She's so close to her goal, less than 250 miles now. But unlike yesterday, today the weather isn't cooperating. It got cold, but you know, like it gets cold on trail, it gets wet on trail. You kind of go through with it, right? You don't stop only because it gets a little bit harder, right? So this is what I did. I just didn't stop, I just continued. The next day, and then the next, the weather doesn't improve. Every day she covers fewer miles, and she's alone. It's as if every other hiker has called it quits. A storm front is rolling in. This time of year, at this elevation, it won't be rain. It'll be snow. The trail will disappear under a white blanket. I checked the weather. I knew if I'm fast enough, I will make it to the next stop. There are periodic spots on the trail that are very important for hikers. Spur trails that will take you off the main trail and into a village, or at least intersect a highway. Or simple cabins built to shelter people who are caught out in bad weather. Katerina knows the next one is at least a full day's hike away. That's a big day on fresh legs, not after months on the trail. I didn't expect to be so tired. I don't know what happened. She lasts until noon. She can't keep up her pace. And ultimately, she just can't go on. Fatigue and exhaustion forced Katerina to make camp on a high rocky plain known as Fire Creek Pass. I just couldn't move. Maybe it was the cold at night. Maybe it was just too cold for me. This gut feeling, like seriously, it was just a gut feeling that I won't make it. She's at over 6,000 feet. The snow-covered peak of Mount Baker looms above her. Under different circumstances, it would be one of the most beautiful places she's ever seen. But not today. My problem was that it was already, everything was full of snow already. So I had no spot to pitch my tent. I had no strength to, to do another mile to a spot where there is actually a place. So I was stuck on the mountain and it started to snow. It starts as a few gentle snowflakes. Within the hour, it's a blizzard. The weather itself is scary because you're by yourself and it's really dark. I was sleeping under a tarp. Somehow water got into it. The sleeping bag was soaked with water, which is really, really scary. The winds get stronger. The snow is whipped through the air. It's growing dark. The temperature plummets and Katerina loses hope. I just got scared. I didn't know if I, I make it or not, but there was a moment where I realized that um, just in case, I should already say goodbye. She tries to call her family. It's a desperate act and ultimately meaningless. There's no cell phone signal up here, no way to send a voicemail or a text. She leaves a voice recording on her phone for someone to find later. If something really happens, they will have my message, right? They won't feel guilty anyhow. It was like, all right, so you can't do anything about it. It is 100% your own fault, so you don't have to blame anyone.
This is Tell Me What Happened, a podcast created by OnStar to showcase how important a human connection is when you need help. Whether you're driving through a crowded city or hiking alone in the mountains. At the exact moment that Katerina is shivering in her tent, staring at her phone, Nancy is in her kitchen, her hands wrapped around a steaming mug of herbal tea. It's been a full week since her brief encounter with a young hiker on the trail. And yet she can't stop thinking about her. My instincts were that something was going to happen to her, and I couldn't even sleep the night before, I was really upset. And Monday morning, it was terrible weather here, even in the lowlands. She had told me she hiked about 15 miles a day. So I got my map out and I started adding up the mileage from point to point and looked like she was gonna be at Fire Creek Pass. And unfortunately, they were calling for foot of snow in the high country and that's exactly where she was going to be so i was just like well i have to call search and rescue and let them know she's up there i just have to tell them it's morning but the storm is still howling katarina is still in her tent her clothes and her sleeping bag are soaked she's in a bit of a daze she's been alone for so long she's starting to hear things Hallucinations, maybe. She rushes out. But there was this one moment where the sun opened up, uh, like where the clouds opened up. The little weather window opened, and so they're able to fly down close enough to where they actually saw her tracks in the snow. And then I saw them, and in the middle of nowhere, there's a helicopter with two guys who look like a rescue team. They could not land where she was because it it was too rugged. There was not a a good place to set the copter down. So they had to fly down about a mile. This was the moment where they tell myself, run, run or you're going to die. The helicopter's blades whip snow into the air. The rocks are slippery and jagged, but Katerina runs towards it as fast as she can. Don't know how to describe it. A life-changing moment. From the air, All Katerina can see is the tattered remains of her tent and the footsteps she's left in the snow. They would have risked their lives to just save someone. And this is something I learned from those guys. It doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter how much you achieved in your life so far or going to. You are important just because you are a person. So thank you. Katerina has frostbite on both of her feet. She's severely hypothermic. But she's safe. And without being told, she knows that there's only one person who could have possibly known how much trouble she was in. The sheriff called me and he said, we have her. Sorry, I get emotional when I I think about it. She actually picked me up at the station and asked me if I want to stay at her place. And I said yes. We hugged each other and uh, the pilots, they were just so happy. Katerina stays with Nancy for two weeks until she's ready to fly back home to Germany. But it was really fun having her at my house, and I I took her around to some um, local places and showed her around a little bit. And 
she got to kind of rest and get her strength back. It was just like uh, being part of family. I owe her a lot. Katerina Grohn is alive because Nancy Abel spent seven days thinking about someone she'd known for just two hours, a stranger she met on the trail. This is Tell Me What Happened, an original podcast by OnStar. Every episode has a story about someone who found themselves needing help. OnStar has been helping people for 25 years. With that in mind, I want to keep the good vibes going and make another human connection. I'm going to bring in Sherry Higman. She's the chairperson of Seattle Mountain Rescue. Her job is to make sure people can safely enjoy the incredible backcountry trails. She's intimately familiar with the area Katerina was hiking in. Out um, near Glacier Peak in that part of the PCT is pretty intense. There's a lot of elevation gain and loss, so it's pretty strenuous. And the peaks are rugged. You're oftentimes in old-growth forests, and there's just like moss dripping off of, off of your environment. Um, and then you're, you know, several hours later standing on top of a ridgeline um, with these vast mountain ranges out before you. How quickly can conditions change up there? As we move it into fall or early spring, it can change in hours. Um, and oftentimes, if you're in heavily forested area, you can't even look at the sky to understand if you have incoming weather or not. What was the area like that Katerina was found in? So she was in an area that is really well forested, often hard to see from the air because of the woods. Where they actually found her um, was somewhat in a clearing where you could kind of see from the, the air where she was at, which is pretty lucky because <laughs> quite honestly, um, when we are doing searches in like heavily forested areas, oftentimes that's not the case. And we have ground troops going in um, looking for people, um, which it takes a lot more time. What's nice is she was on the trail. We kind of had a rough idea where she might be, um, which does narrow down the window. But there are often times when we're scouring for days looking for people off trail. Well, Katarina hiked the trail for, for miles for, you know, without any major issues. So then where did she go wrong? How did, how did it go so quickly to life or death situation? Looking at the forecast and understanding the weather systems that move into the region in which you're, you're traveling in um, will take you a long way, especially since we're in a maritime um, environment. Though, you know, we have more milder um, climate, uh, the weather changes quickly and it's really wet. Um, and so all of a sudden you can end up in a, a storm, whether it's snow or rain, and be absolutely drenched. What's the general rule for search and rescue? Because it kind of was responding on Nancy's hunch. I'm assuming that's not the norm. It's not the norm, but it does happen. And quite honestly, like if we're getting a call out, we'll go. If we look at urban settings, oftentimes if somebody's missing, it's like you have to wait 24 hours. But for us, sometimes it's within hours and we're like, all right, here we go. Let's rally the troops. How common is it? For a rescue like that, we probably get a couple a year that are that sort of resource intensive. Um, but as far as how often do we get called out? Um, in King County, we had, I think, 87 missions last year. So roughly one every three days. <laughs> wow. Wow. Yeah, so often. <laughs> well, Katerina wasn't calling for help, but what would you recommend if someone wanted to call for help and they needed help in the backcountry? Oh, for sure. And so what's really awesome about the world we live in today is we frequently do have access to service out in the middle of the mountains. And so with that, Call 911. If you have service, call 911. What that gets you is um, 
gets you help immediately. Also, it um, helps us triangulate where you're at, which is pretty cool. Like the technology can do that. But where she's at, there's no service out there. Um, what we recommend folks use is what's called a personal locator beacon. That is basically, it's a call for help. And so there's a button on these devices. You hit the SOS button, um, a signal gets transmitted up to satellites, and that gets deployed out to typically military stations and help gets on the way. So if you're in a location, you may require air rescue. You don't have one of these personal locator beacons. How do you attract attention? Oh, yeah. So, I mean, if you can get into an open space, get in an open space because it just is much easier for us to see from the air. And that is ideal. Other things you can do is have one of those little mirrors, like just a mirror. So you can like signal a helicopter from from above. And then the other the other thing is wearing bright clothes. That helps a lot. So what should someone be equipped with now broader, not just the gadgets? What should someone be equipped with if they're taking on the PCT? Oh, yeah. If you're taking on the PCT, one, I applaud people that are do that. Like, that's <laughs> it's a lot of effort. Um, so it takes a lot of planning and a lot of digging. And so I think the biggest thing is having a plan and leaving that plan with somebody. And so that way, if something goes awry, you have somebody that's looking out for you and looking to see when you come back. And so on that plan would be, you know, your entry point. And so your trailhead, what your planned route is as, and in addition to the destination. So at least we can, you know, hone in on where you might be and then um, what you're wearing. Because um, that, again, allows us to ask passerby. It's like, hey, did you see a person wearing this bright pink jacket? And the final thing that's really key is what time do you plan to be out? Because that way it gives us an idea of how fast you might think that you'll be traveling. What if the worst happens? I mean, you, you're lost you get hurt. That's what I'm always worried about. What if I just like, I'm, I'm clumsy. What if I trip and I break my ankle? Then, then what do I do? What if I'm out of service? Oh, for sure. The thing that I, we like to say is hug a tree, <laughs> you know, stay put, right? Stop moving around. We're pretty good at finding people. <laughs> the other thing is just to take that deep breath and calm your mind. Because oftentimes when we are amped up and anxious, we end up making decisions that could, you know, further um, increase the consequences of where we're at right now. And you might end up in an even more difficult situation. And then try to protect yourself as best as you can from the environment. Um, try, to, try to maintain your body heat, you know, when it's cooler. And so that might mean putting all your stuff on and also trying to get yourself insulated from the ground. Conversely, if it's, you know, summertime and you're really hot, find that shade because um, dehydration is a killer as well. Well, thanks, Sherry. Thank you. That's it for this episode of OnStar's Tell Me What Happened, true stories of people helping people. If you'd like to read more stories like this one, or if you want to see a map of the Pacific Crest Trail, maybe plan your own adventure, there's a link in the show notes to take you to our website. Or you can go straight to OnStar.com and tell us your favorite story about a time that someone helped you out of a particularly challenging situation. Let's share some love for people who help others in big ways or small. On behalf of OnStar, I'm Tora Kachur. And please, be safe out there.